Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Today's show is brought to you by Nation's Photo Lab Prints. Your photos don't just belong on your phone. Get 15 free square prints from Nation's Photo Lab. Just head to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use the code happyhour15. Nation's Photo Lab Prints are made by photographers for photographers. Choose from 4x4 or 5x5 sizes on their professional quality luster paper. And bam, you've turned your Instagrams into instant handheld memories. Make every moment matter. Head to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use code happyhour15 for your 15 free square prints. Hey friends, happy January 30th. Today's a fun day for me because it is the one year birthday of my book, If You Only Knew, My Unlikely, Unavoidable Story Becoming Free. I released this book because I wanted to use my story to point all of you to Jesus. I believe stories change the world. I believe we all have stories. I believe that when we proclaim our stories and what we've been through and things that have happened in our life, that we get to show people Jesus. We get to point to Him, the one who is the writer and the creator of our stories. And so I've had such a great year talking about this book with you guys. My favorite thing is to hear from you guys about what you loved about the book and what God showed you about your own life through the book. So happy birthday, if you only knew. Right now, I'm going to have a little birthday special for the whole month of February. My book is going to be on sale on my webpage for $10. You can go find it there at jamieivy.com slash store. You guys, you have done it again. Happy Hour Live tickets have been up for about 10 days and they're sold out. What a fun way to celebrate 2019 is to have our very first Happy Hour Live event completely sold out. We have amazing guests coming and you guys are amazing for getting tickets. I cannot wait to meet every single one of you that bought tickets. You guys, on today's show, I'm talking with my very spunky friend, Margaret Feinberg. When Margaret came to my studio to chat, I knew that we were going to have a fun time. But what I didn't realize was how our conversation would wow and inspire me to learn all the ways that food mentioned in the scriptures have so much purpose in how they're talked about and shared. It's truly beautiful, and I know that you're going to be inspired by our conversation. Okay, guys, you have stuck around through a lot of information Let's get to the good stuff. Here is my conversation with Margaret Feinberg. Margaret, welcome to the happy hour. Oh, I am so joyful and excited to be here. Speaking of joyful, you have a new podcast out. I do. I'm 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 walking into your waters. I'm like dipping my toe. Everyone's welcome to this pool. Oh, thank you. You're I, so generous. I love this. It's okay. super fun. Okay. We're gonna talk about the podcast, but first, you live in Utah with your husband. He's a pastor. Yes. And you just released a book last week. How many, what book number is this? I don't know. I started, I stopped counting like a lot, a lot of books ago. I really? Yes. Yes. I, I wonder would, if I'll say that someday. I stopped counting a long books ago. Yeah. I think you will. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming. Okay. So you just released a book <laughs> uh, and you've released a lot of books and Bible studies. Yes. Does this book have a Bible study to it go with it? It does. It's <gasps> so stinking fun. It's six session DVD and it's just, it's, it, there's recipes. Okay. So the funnest is I got my husband. He's like the cook in our house. And Mine too. Yeah. All the magical things. Like when Leif cooks, everybody comes running. And so he, we introduce each uh, Bible study lesson with either he and I or a friend and I in the kitchen making a recipe. This that is the best. So fun. So the recipes that are in the book? Uh, they are in the book or in the Bible study, or they might be bonus ones. So oh, really fun. Yeah. This is so fun. Um, when we're recording this, we have a big dinner at our house tomorrow night. Ooh. We love having dinners over here. Like it's like our thing. And so I think we have a lot in common. But we have this big dinner over here tomorrow night. And my husband has, when I came home last night, he had made all of the sauces, like him homemade. Yes. Like he's not going to buy anything. He's like made all the sauces. It's this big Asian feast. Um, and so I like to eat, but I don't like to cook. <laughs> and so do you like to cook though? I do enjoy cooking. And so that's something we do together. Now in the first years of marriage, we were like World War Four was bursting out. We had already cleared out three. It was World War Four. Like we were so tense and so like just at each other's throats. But after about probably about 12, 18 months, we figured it out. And now we just kind of co, we just flow in the kitchen. Wait, together. you were just World War Three in the kitchen or in marriage? Uh, mostly in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's where, that's where. I was like, I'm gonna need to hear about that. But that's in the where, 
kitchen. all went down. Let's just be honest. That's okay. where it all came out. <laughs> was it because you were like, I want to do it this way. And he was like, I want to do it this way. Totally. Yeah. And it was a small kitchen mm-hmm. and not enough utensils, not enough counter space, like <laughs> all the things. Classic. And so you had to learn. We had to learn. And, and I give him a lot of space. My husband's six foot eight. So. Oh my gosh. I know. Right. I'm five, six. So there's a huge span there. And so he needs some space. He needs some space. And, and I have, I had to learn how to give him the space. Six foot eight. I know. Right. I feel so safe when I'm with him. I bet. Mm-hmm. People, he can like, just like take you in. Yeah. People cross on the other side of the sidewalk to pass him. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> okay. So I always say that Aaron and I cook together, but what I really mean when I say that is Aaron cooks and I um, enjoy a glass of wine and then I'll do the dishes later. So that. <laughs> That is, and I taste. I'm like the taste tester. Uh, yes, it looks good. You're doing a great job, honey. And then I'll clean up. So I love it. It works out well it. for me. I'm more like the sous chef. Like I'm like, top, top, top. What oh. can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And so I kind of like be his assistant. Okay. Aaron yeah. tries to make me his sous chef. But. Oh. <laughs> eject, eject. I know. I'm like, we have kids for this. So the kids love cooking with him. So that's great. Okay. So speaking of cooking, your new book is called Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. Oh my gosh, it rhymes. I've never said it out loud. Right? I, I never said it out loud to just now. <laughs> Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. It needs to be a song. You need a jingle <laughs> when you introduce this on your podcast. You need a jingle that goes along with that. That's all okay, I'm saying. Will you help me write it? I'm not a very good jingle writer, but my husband used to write jingles in college. And you know, you can make a lot of money off that. Really? I know. Sometimes I'm like, hey, let's get back into this jingle writing business. Oh, I had no idea. I Me neither. But huh. we he never made it that big, obviously. But <laughs> he's not a professional jingle writer. But anyhow, your book is not only beautiful, it is so interesting. And I am so happy to talk to you about this. First of all, I have to ask this, even though you don't remember how many books you've written, uh, which I think is awesome. But I do need to know, where did the idea for this book come mm. from? You know, I've been sitting on this idea for almost a decade. Wow. I know, right? So about 10 years ago, I wrote a book called Scouting the Divine, My Search for God in Wine, Wool, and Wild Honey. Okay. And I, I see a theme here. I know, right? Yeah. I spent time with a farmer, a uh, beekeeper, a vintner, a grape grower, and a shepherd and opened up the Bible and asked, how do you read these passages, not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day? And their answers changed the way I read the Bible forever. And um, afterwards, people kept coming up to me and saying, why didn't you spend time with somebody who grows olives? I mean, literally multiple. And finally, I was like, one day I'm going to do that. And so now a decade later, I sat down and said, it is time. And so went on this incredible adventure. I went 410 feet down into a salt mine. I fished on the Galilee. I found one of the world's foremost growers of figs, um, an expert on ancient grains at Yale Divinity School. Um, went and graduated from Stakeology 101 right here. Uh, In near, Texas. Yes, McKinney, Texas. Yes. Woo-hoo, local Go Texas. Yeah. I don't know, all the things. And began opening up the scripture and asking again that same question. How do you read this? Not, not as the big brainiacs of the Bible, but just as people who are like, planting and procuring and processing these foods every day. It's so beautiful. And where'd you do the olives? Ooh, the olives I did in Croatia. Oh my gosh. We went to an olive, what do you call, I mean, what do you call this place that they grow olives? Uh, uh, Olive uh, farm? Olive grove? Olive grove. That sounds better. In Italy this past Mm. summer. It was super interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I did not learn as much as you did because you were like researching and writing a book about it. But it was so interesting. And then we tasted all the olive oils and they had like all these different kinds. And I just thought olive oil was olive oil, but oh no. Oh. Olive oil is not just olive oil. Oh, there are like whole, just like somebody can be a connoisseur or a sommelier of wine, there are sommeliers of olive oil. It's so crazy. It is. It's amazing. I I love it. Okay. Can I olive nerd out for just a second? I, no, I want to know all about the olives. Yes. Okay. So if you've ever looked at an olive tree, you'll notice that sometimes you'll see them and they look almost gray in the leaves, like a silvery and other types. Okay. But can I stop you real quick? Where yeah. do we see olive trees? Like, am I just, I'm just not looking. Uh, No, you're probably looking. So there are- Oh, Oh, you know what? There's an olive whatever place right by my house. There is? We've never been, but I drive by the sign all the time. You've got to go. I have to go. You've got to go. And a lot of times in California, you'll find them. Um, But there are a billion olive trees on the planet and 90% of them are all grown in the Mediterranean. Okay, fun fact of the day right there. There you go, there you go, yeah. Wow, (laughs) 
<laughs> but their leaves are amazing. They're like these little mini miracles and they have hairs on the underside. And so those little hairs will detect what the weather patterns is. And so in a really hot season or hot day, the leaves will go flat. And then on a moist day, they'll curl under. And that's why you can drive by an olive tree one day and it'll look gray and silver and the next green and flat because of the way that the leaf is reflecting the light. That's amazing. They're, they're like, there's just these miracles and that God is just embedded in nature of how they respond and react. And of course, the delicious food they produce. Yeah. And then I was super intrigued with like the actual act of pressing the olives, like mm. how many olives it takes to get our olive oil. It's true. It's it's tons. Yeah. Uh, we, I went to the olive press once in Croatia with the family that uh, we were staying with. And it was interesting because when we got there, there were no smoking signs all over. And I thought, well, of course it's oil. Like who's going to light it? You know, that's, it's, a bad, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Even I know that. But then they explained, no, the reason is because olive oil is so sensitive that it will absorb any scent. And so if somebody smokes a cigarette nearby, all of the olive oil in the plant can start to smell like smoke. That is crazy. Isn't it? It also, after you've seen something like that, I don't know if you're like this, the next, like sometimes when you go to the grocery store and you're like, we need olive oil. You're like, gosh, there's like a $15 bottle and then like a $4.99. You're like, I'm getting the $4.99. But there is a huge difference. Oh. And there should be. Yes. And you and I have both seen. Yes. Why there's that difference. Yes. And so super creepy, but up in the olive oil business, there's people who are also cheaters. And so in different parts of the country, and so they'll um, mix in other types of oil into the olive oil in order to produce higher quantities like rapeseed oil, which is a terrible name for any oil. Yeah. But yeah, like, ooh. But, um, and so they'll water it down. And so you start to understand like when you're paying more and when you're buying it for reputable places, how much better it is. We brought some home from our trip to Italy. Mm. It was just so much, so great. So yeah. I, I feel like that you, you said you just saw this in the olive oil. I know you've heard about this like food industry, like discrepancies and people doing things that aren't okay with your meat guy. Did you find that in any other of the things that you visited? All across the board. All wow. across the board. There is a high cost to cheap food. And I think deep down inside, we know that. And, and but there, the way that certain particularly countries, maybe large ones located toward the East, what they do in order to multiply food unnaturally um, can get pretty... Pretty crazy. I know that um, there's there's documentaries on this on Netflix, but for instance, so in some of the large barrels of honey, um, particular countries will put rocks in the bottom in order to make them weigh more than they do. Or they may add other substances in there in order to kind of dilute the honey so it'll still clear the tests, but it's been watered down. And that's why I'm a huge fan of when possible, support your local farmer yeah. and go local. Yeah. We had a whole episode on the happy hour with my friend, Lindsay Kramer and her and her husband. They're farmers. They yeah. run a farm here in Texas. It's their livelihood. And I know I read in your book about how it's so hard to be a farmer these days oh. because of big, big business, big farming. So um, it is so true. Support your local farmer. I have another friend who like is a beekeeper. Isn't that crazy? It's so fun. Okay. So let's get back to this, this journey that you went on. How did you pick where you were going to go? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I started going through the scripture and just opening it up and saying, okay, what are the main foods of the Bible? And what are the ones that appear multiple times? And so I hand-selected out six of them in order to go and to research. A lot of them are the ones that are uh, located and described as being in the promised land. You know, for instance, the the barley or the or the the, the grains that are described. Um, also the olive, I believe, is described. And so some of them were those. And then others were just kind of natural. I thought, goodness, how often does Jesus talk about fish and calling fishermen and what that is and the multiple miracles of the fish. And so I thought, you know what? I need to go study fish. And so got on a plane and went to the Galilee and went fishing in the Galilee because that's what normal people do, right? I mean, yeah, that's what we do on Thursdays. Right. Here. Yeah, yeah. Let's just <laughs> fly across the world and go fish. Um, and yeah, okay. So you just pick these places. Pick these places. And then, so part of the struggle was this is, you, you can pick these foods and then you've got to find people who plant and procure. And honestly, it's difficult because A, they need to be uh, able to communicate. They need to have an interesting story. They need to be a little bit of a character to really fit in this right. book because it's got to be this wild culinary spiritual adventure. And then they've got to have some insight. And so there were trips that I took. Like, were you looking for biblical insight as well or yes. just insight into the food? Insight into the food that would shed light onto the onto the Bible directly. Okay, gotcha. So there was a little bit, I didn't, I, they didn't have to be Christians. Mm -hmm. In some ways it was better when they weren't because they would talk about it in such a way that my heart would come alive. Yeah. But they didn't even know what they were really saying. Right. Um, 
And so finding those people was hard. So for instance, I visited four different dairy farmers and there's no dairy chapter in the book. You originally thought there was going to be. I thought there was going to be. And it just never lined up. And I spent time with extraordinary people. But every time I was like, I I know when I get it, probably like you do in a podcast, right? Like just like now, you know when you get it. And I got done and I went, I didn't get it. Or like one person I was supposed to go and their farm was flooded out the day before. Or, you know, there were these surprise things that was like, well, that's not going to work. And so, um, so finding those people, I would literally wake up and this may sound crazy to some of you, but I would pray every day and I'd say, God, you are my editor. You are the one who has to, I feel compelled to do this project. You are the one I feel like I've been assigned by and you need to provide the people. And then I just start asking everybody I know, do you know a fig farmer? Do you know a fig farmer? Do you know a fig farmer? And so finally then someone would say, well, I have a friend who knows somebody who might. And then I traced down that rabbit trail and I did it over and over. And in the end, for those who read Taste and See, it is this incredible culinary spiritual adventure of trusting God, opening up the scripture and just going after it. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, so where'd you do your fig farming? Ooh, okay. So I found a one of the I found one of the nations and actually world's premier fig farmers. He's in Madera, California. Okay, and he grows or manages more than half of all the figs in the United States. Okay, <laughs> right. I don't think I even like figs. Oh, but oh, oh. Have you ever had a fresh, fresh fig? I don't. Th- I've had a fig wrapped in bacon. Okay. And I like that. Yes. I like but it. I love bacon. You could wrap my arm in bacon. <laughs> I know, I right? Dying. I always am like, I don't eat pork, but bring me some bacon. Like <laughs> That's literally how I am. I'm like, I don't want any pork. I just want the bacon. So yeah. So I've never had, I don't know that I've had a really good fresh fig. Oh, they're amazing. Probably because they're so rare to get in the uh, grocery stores. So they're only ripe and able to be transported for about two or three weeks, usually in June and maybe another two, three weeks in August. And otherwise you can't get a fresh fig unless you have a, unless you're besties with a fig farmer. Which you are now. Which I I am now. And then they're amazing. There's like five major types of figs that are grown in the United States. And I actually, I have now planted a fig tree. It's a tiger fig tree. And I ate figs off of it this summer. And now it is growing in our snowy location inside our house in you Utah. brought it in. I brought it in. Uh, we have been nurturing it. It's uh-huh. actually sprouting leaves. It's gorgeous right now. It's amazing. How long after you planted it, did you get fruit? Uh, well, I didn't plant it from a seed. It you brought, already, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. bought the pre-done tree. Okay, I, I yeah. went for the shortcut there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it should produce again this summer, probably a couple times because they're multi-cropping figs. So figs produce fruit multiple times throughout the year. So when Jesus says, pay attention to the fig tree, it invites us not just to look for maybe once that, that is producing fruit, but that it is going to be producing several times throughout the year. And it's implying how much attention and how much uh, energy we need to spend in really living on high alert that this thing that God has provided can be fruitful, that, that God is at work in that imagery. Wow. It's crazy awesome. 
I love, like, I love food so much and I love all of this process. Like, that's so intriguing and interesting to me. And so reading it through the lens of how I'm going to read the scriptures mm-hmm. and the message of Jesus mm-hmm. and God's word, I'm sure that your mind was blown. Our mind's going to be blown. This is so good. What was your favorite experience? Oh, Can you even do that? I can. Okay. It, uh, it was probably fishing on the Galilee. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, that was pretty extraordinary. I didn't have a contact. I was secret story. So I was at the if gathering, which we were both at it. Yeah. We were at a, a party afterwards and I felt the Holy Spirit say, go up to Christine Kane and ask for a fisherman in the Galilee. So I marched my little hiney up to Christine and I'm like, hey, Chris, uh, do you know a fisherman in the Galilee? She's like, uh, no, why? I said, we're working in this book. And again, this putting myself out there going, okay, God, I trust that you're going to provide. And she says, well, I can get you one in Greece because of 821 and all of her work there. And I was like, nope, it's got to be in the Galilee. She's like, well, let me work on this. Week next week, she finds somebody who who is in Israel and says, "Ask this person. This person says, I know a guy who wrote a book. He's passed away, but I'll send you the book. And I was like, nope, I don't need a book. (laughs) I need a fisherman in the alley. I need a fisherman. I need a live fisherman. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, several weeks later, I meet this guy over the phone named Ido, and I invite myself to go fishing with him on the Galilee. By the end of like the, the three days, I ended up staying for a week. I ended up celebrating Passover with his family. And then- Were go- you by yourself? Yes. Crazy pants, right? Very crazy pants. <laughs> I know. I'm going to fly halfway across the world to spend time with a stranger named Ido uh-huh. and go fishing in the Galilee. And the way that God orchestrated that trip and brought it all together. But let me give you, okay, you want Galilee fish trivia? Yeah. Okay. So we, we get in the skiff. We're going out to go lay nets. Just I don't like know what a skiff is. A boat? A small boat. Okay, yep, got small it. Small boat Sorry. with fishermen, Momo and his crew. And all of a sudden he... Uh, Ido looks and he says, do you see over there? And I go, what is it? He goes, those are catfish. And these are like the stinking biggest catfish. Like they're like four, five feet long and they're just piled high along the edge of uh, the edge of the water. And they're swimming, but they just, they wanted to get some sun or whatever they're doing. And I was like, why are there so many catfish? He goes, because those are the unclean fish. The Jewish people never catch them. So if you ever want to have world-class catfishing, you go to the Galilee. Wow. Right? Because they're bottom feeders. They're bottom feeders. And so when Jesus talks about the difference between the clean and the unclean fish, he's referring to the catfish versus the other fish that are in the Galilee. Wow. So the catfish are living large. They are They are living large. Yes, because nobody wants them. Exactly. And they're unscaled, which makes them unclean, according okay. to the Old Testament. Okay. Isn't Interesting. Okay, wild? so you spent Passover with a random family. I did. I had the best stinking time. That sounds amazing. Yeah, changed my plane ticket. They were like, we want you to stay for the Passover. Or I was like, uh, yes, please. So legit Jewish family. Legit. Celebrating Passover. Yep, yep. With the kids running around, pure mayhem, looking for the hidden uh, matzah. Yeah. The whole, the four glasses of the wine, the full spread of food, uh, the kosher cheesecake, which by the way, kosher cheesecake in Israel is crackalicious. Have you ever experienced the Passover before? Only in more like churchy circles. Okay, yeah. But never in never in Israel. And no, never yeah. with a family who is like full bore. The extended family, the mayhem, the it was so much joy. So I've been to one when Aaron and I first moved to Austin, someone invited us to a Seder. Mm-hmm. And um it was so interesting mm-hmm. and so amazing. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the Passover experience with this family. Yeah, the Passover experience. So uh everyone gathers around and this was a this was there was religious Jews and non-religious Jews, and so that mixture. And um, But everyone still celebrates the Passover, right? Everyone's still, it, okay. it would be like, it, this may be a rough example, but it'd be like not going to Thanksgiving meal in or, right. or Christmas, like even a more religious, but yeah. meal. Like, like culturally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Everybody's what I thought. there. And at the end of the table, um, the the brother was leading the Passover. And so he would read through um, the booklet, giving all of the prayers. And then there were songs that the um, children were singing. But the most amazing thing was it wasn't just a meal. It was an experiential meal. And so we would all lean to the left as we ate in order to represent the fleeing out of Israel. We ate the bitter herbs dipped in the salt water because of the bitterness of their tears. We ate the, you know, the, the lamb shank, remembrance of the blood that was over the door. And so the kids would sing songs. They would go look for the hidden manna, um, which hadn't risen because they fled in such haste. And and so it was this experiential, not just, it was, it was the most visceral intake of the Passover story. And the most beautiful moment happened at the end when all the kids were scattered out, they were playing. And all of a sudden, Mama Vered came at me and she goes, do you know why we do this? 
And I say, uh, because it's the Passover. She goes, no. And she points to the empty seats of the children. And she says, we do this because they must know their story. This is their story. This is our story of slavery to freedom. And I was like, God moment right there. Yeah. This is their story. This is our story of slavery to freedom. How was it in that moment being a Christian and knowing that what like, because from my end, I'm kind of ignorant here, so forgive me, but knowing that they're still looking forward, Mm -hmm. aren't they still looking forward to a Messiah? Yes. So how was it? Because I imagine, because you're sitting there and you understand those stories and you know that it is their story from slavery to freedom and that God did rescue his people, all the things. But then aren't you kind of like, but like you're kind of leaning in, like there's just a little bit more. How did that feel? Yeah, so I probably have a little bit unique perspective on that. Last name, Feinberg. Hint, hint, wink, wink. (laughs) So I was raised by a Jewish father who came to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Which he would be called a what? He would be called a messianic Jew. Okay, that's But he prefers just to be called a Christ follower. Okay, So he's he's ornery, which most Jewish people are, and you just have to love them for that. But uh, myself included. And I think the thing that I saw at that table was that God was... God is at work. Mm. God is at work. They knew exactly. I mean, there were people at that table who'd written poems about the freedom and the recognition for freedom that they knew in their own spiritual lives. And so what I've seen over the years, just being part of the Jewish community um, and having Jewish friends is that in the end of the day, God alone brings them to himself. And so we pray and we trust. And I saw in that moment that, yes, I still pray and I still trust. God is on the move. You know, Jewish culture is really onto something that I think that we're missing a lot. And I think you have, you know, touched on this a lot in your book. I'm I'm thinking, I have a girlfriend who lives in Israel right now. And so she's telling us constantly about um, Shabbat mm-hmm. and how they slow down mm-hmm. and really savor mm-hmm. that time every single week mm-hmm. with their family. And I think it's something that can get lost on us mm-hmm. in our culture in America mm-hmm. of rush, 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 mm-hmm. hurry, hurry, hurry. Even sometimes I feel myself when she talks about how she's preparing for Shabbat because they got to get everything ready because it is really this dedicated time. I sometimes find myself going, I don't have time to do that. Like, I don't know how I would do that. Like, it, and it's kind of crazy, but it is that whole thing that you're kind of talking about of like slowing down and enjoying this experience mm-hmm. of a meal. It is. And it is that that moment of rest, that moment of thinking and preparation. And what I love about Jewish culture is how rich it is across the board. Yeah. So in one of the chapters in Taste and See, I talk about um, spending time with an expert on ancient grains. And he happens to be at Yale University and making, uh, making the matzah under, uh, I think it's under 18 minutes, which is what it requires in order to be uh, considered unleavened. In other words, if you from the moment that water hits flour, it's estimated that within that time that it will start to ferment a little bit. You can start to get air pockets if it's beyond that. And so they try to make it in this really tight time frame. Well, here I am over in Israel and eating eating meals with the family and all of their staff who works uh, restaurants and this whole kind of uh, tourist industry. And I would notice that at the end of the meals, they would leave uh, the large pieces of bread on the table. Well, me being American tourist, I'm like, I know what I can do. I can help clean up, right? Like, <laughs> right. I'm going to be a servant. Yes, I'm going to be a Girl Scout. And so I'm going to clear all the extra and then I'm going to sweep it away and throw it in the trash. And I remember after a couple of days, I was like, wait a second. How come I'm the only one doing? What is happening? And I asked Mama Red and she explained. She said, "The we don't throw away bread ever because we will take it. We will gather up our leftovers. We will give them to the poor if that's appropriate, or we will feed them to the birds. But you never throw away bread because we recognize its sacredness. We recognize that it is holy, recognize that it is a gift. The food is a gift. And so we never want to waste it. And, And in that moment, I was like, every little thing has a purpose and a calling that is meant to awaken our hearts to gratitude, to God, to goodness, and all that fullness. And so I think by the process of just being over there, you see not just the Sabbath, you see the eating of bread, you see the holidays, you see all these things in a whole new light that really that really be- makes us become more intentional and thoughtful in our lives. It's so beautiful. I am just... I, I I am going to, even though I'm just getting this small taste of you right now, I'm going to read these things differently when I see them in scripture, you know? And I'm going to look at them in a different light. So thank you for that. You are so welcome. much. 
Okay, guys, I know you're loving this show and this conversation, and you're probably hungry right now because we're talking a lot about food, but I want to take a moment to thank the sponsors for this show today. The first sponsor for the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast is Zola. Zola is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. Combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and register with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save the dates and invitations, and easy to use planning tools. First, you're going to start with a free wedding website. It just takes a few minutes to set up and you can choose from over a hundred beautiful designs that fit any style and every type of wedding. Then you can put your Zola registry on your wedding website so that guests can get all the details they need and buy your wedding gift in one convenient place. The Zola store has the widest selection of gifts at all different price points from over 500 brands. Basically, there's something for every guest to give. Although I personally am not planning a wedding, I went over to their webpage and looked at it and remembered my wedding planning experience and how Zola would have helped me out so much in my planning. We live in a world that navigates everything online. So this is a great way for you to point your guests to one spot where they can learn all about your wedding, plus also have your wedding registry. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash happy hour. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash happy hour to get $50 off your registry today. The happy hour is also sponsored by Third Love. Using millions of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bra with breast size and shape in mind for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. First, you're just going to answer a couple of questions from the Third Love's Fit Finder quiz, and they're going to find your perfect fit. Third Love offers double the number of sizes that most brands offer. They have cups in size A through H and bands up to 48. I promise you, you're going to want to wear these breathable bras and underwear every day. They are lightweight. They have memory foam cups. They have straps that won't slip and tagless labels, especially the new cotton t-shirt bras and underwear, which I recently just got myself a new cotton t-shirt bra. And they're right. I want to wear it every single day. They're so confident in their 100% fit and guarantee that returns and exchanges are free and easy. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering all of my listeners, which is you, 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Jamie right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Jamie for 15% off today. Now, you start your book with a story, which I thought was super hilarious, where you were going to dinner at some friend's house and you whispered to your husband, let's get out of here as like as possible. <laughs> like, like, I read that and I'm like, we've all been here. We've all done that, right? We've all shown up and just like, let's just make this like as painless as possible, you know, whatever. And then you get in the door and it, they had created an experience for you. Oh. And there were just a couple inviting you guys over to dinner. You know, this wasn't like an experience at a restaurant. This was friends inviting friends over to dinner. Why does that story make your book? Why did it stand out? What did it do for you? Yeah, you know, we walked in and I didn't really want to be there. Let's just be honest. We've Girl. all been to dinners, right? We're yes. Like, or life is just busy and you're like, yes. I just want to be in my jammies on yes. the couch with a fire. Why did I stuff this in? If it's Just because it's open on the calendar doesn't mean it's open. Oh my Rule gosh, we one. have said that exact thing a thousand <laughs> times to each other. Just because there's nothing there doesn't mean we can put something there. Yes, yes, I get it. And we walk into this couple who never met them before. and Which is have, even harder sometimes, let's yes. be honest, yeah full charcuterie board, all these olives. He had taken this roast and, and been preparing it for 36 hours. He had put fresh ground spices all over it. Uh, he had picked the, the lemons from their garden and just put together this incredible feast with such thought and intentionalities. Candles were lit, music was playing. And by the end of that time, I felt like I had had more than just a meal. I was full. I was refreshed. I was full on life. And I think that in some ways, all of us, that's Part of the reason I wrote about this in Taste and See is this idea that when we come to the table, we are hungry for more than appetizer, entree, dessert. Of course, we love those things and preferably some really great gluten-free or regular bread on the side with regular, big old awesome. melting pat of yes. butter. Let's, let's, <laughs> yes. not, let's not miss that. 
But there is a sense that we all hunger for something more. We hunger to know and to be known. We hunger to experience the fullness of life. We hunger to experience vulnerability and to share our vulnerability. And most important, to be loved in those places. And that you and I, we can become intentional about creating places and spaces where that happens. And it doesn't take a lot. That's, I, I love that you said that too, because some people, that's their biggest thing. I'm not good at this, you know. Mm-hmm. And we had, Michael Smith was on here earlier in the year and that was that's her thing, Vanessa. She's like, mm-hmm. Any, you, hospitality, you can do it. It has to be perfect. I think that's good to know with mealtimes as well. Absolutely. You know what the most important thing that I found lately for having people over is I will, it's not the food. Like the food can be brought in, the food can be out of the, you know, freezer, lasagna, whatever. The most important thing is before they come, I take some time and I just pray. Mm. And I say, God, I want you to meet us here tonight. I want you to come and show up, reveal yourself. And then somewhere during the night, I'll slip in this question. And based on wherever anybody may be in their spiritual spectrum, I may ask the question in different ways, but basically, where do you see God moving in your life? Or where have you sensed the Holy Spirit on the move? Or where have you sensed divine in your in your everyday experience? And it is amazing how so often that question will serve as just a, just a, a, a spark that starts a fire of conversation of knowing and being known, of acknowledging that there is something bigger than us and drawing people out who maybe even aren't people of faith or maybe are just asking questions to engage in that. And it literally often changes the whole evening and the whole atmosphere, but it begins with that prayer ahead of time. And then whatever, you know, whatever side dish you served or like me, when I burned the Brussels sprouts, it doesn't matter. Right. Do you know Susie Davis? I do. She is a good question asker like that as well. Mm. You know, um, I told you we're big into hospitality and having people over. And what we found is what you had just described is that such great moments and conversation mm-hmm. happen around the table. Mm-hmm. It's almost as though you can, like you said, create a beautiful meal. You can bring it in. You can burn. Mm-hmm. The meal takes like back seat mm-hmm. for us. Like when you put everyone around the table, you might say at first like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Or look at this roast that you did for 36 hours and this charcuterie board. But at the end of the night, it's that conversation mm-hmm. that comes to the front and that changes things. It is. You know, I even put together some, um, for anybody who may want them, conversation card starters, just because I think one of the most powerful things that you can walk into any meal, whether it's a restaurant, new people, business, is just powerful questions to ask. And people can download these for free. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Because I think that's where people get hung up too. Like, I don't know where to go. What do we talk about? Oh, how many times have you ended up at a dinner party? And I'll just be honest. It's like, what do you do? You know, what's your work? Uh, You know, how did you meet? And they're great questions, but they're the same ones. And instead to come in asking different questions mm-hmm. and equipping people with those questions that they can ask. Some people, I know they've taken them, they print them out and they just put them on the middle of their living room or dining room tables so and just reach for them pick and one, just yeah. say, hey. And all of a sudden, just one question, uh-huh. it just sprouts a whole new life. We've been in a supper club for years and years and years. And we do that a lot mm-hmm. is whoever's hosting kind of throws out these questions. And some of us have known each other for, you know, eight, nine years. And it's still, it's not like we wouldn't have anything to talk about. We have plenty of things to talk about. But still, it's these intentional moments of let's go a little bit deeper this time. Absolutely. And that happens with my best friend, Leif. Right. Like my own spouse. Like he'll answer a question and be like, I never knew that about you. What? I mean, I sleep with you and I didn't know that. Those are fun moments. You're like, this is so great. That happened recently with Aaron and I too. He was telling a story and I'm like, I've never heard this story. I've been married for 17 years. It's so fun. Um, Okay. So tell me a little bit about the Bible study that goes with this. Yeah, it is super fun. Uh, Six session DVD, uh, again, starts with fun recipes at the beginning and then dives into different elements. Um, let me give you an example. So in one uh, one lesson, I talk a little bit about meat and-, and Oh, and, I have to ask you, keep going, but we yeah. have to talk about the meat guy. Yeah, the meat okay. guy. So that was amazing. And so for, let me give you just an example. So in the scripture, it talks about, uh, maybe some of you guys have heard this, that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. And I thought, cool, God's rich. Like God can open a nice steak restaurant. He's got a lot of cattle. Good. And once I understood the- animal husbandry or the taking care of animals in ancient times, it came alive in a whole new way. Because in ancient times, it wasn't about the steak. And we're in Texas right now, and it is all things beef. And let me tell you, girlfriend, I will take you on when it comes. Yeah, I love a good steak. Um, But 
But in that passage, in ancient times, the real value of an animal wasn't just in the animal itself, it was what it could produce. So for instance, with sheep and cows and goats, it was about the milk that they could produce that could then be used to create cheese, that then could be dried, that could be then used to cook. Or for the sheep, it would also be the, the wool that could be used to keep warm, to weave, to do all of those things. And so when the scripture says, our God owns the the cows on a thousand hills, in that actual language, it's not just beef cows, it was all the animals. So it was the sheep and the goats too. And it wasn't just that he owned all the cows, sheep, and goats on a thousand years as just meat source, but an ongoing source of provision. Mm. And so Because when, they would continue to provide over and over yes. again. And so when God owns the the cows on a thousand hills. He owns it all. And it is not just for today. It is for tomorrow and the day after and the day after till eternity, which means you and I can then lean into him as our provider, lean into him into trusting more. Would that have made sense what you just explained to me in the in the culture that that was written in? Absolutely. That's how That's they would have so, seen it. It's so amazing. I love that. Yeah. That's how they would have seen it. They wouldn't have been like, oh, that means that I get a lot of steak for a long time. That's not it at all. <laughs> steak like, for life. God is so big. He's going to provide for me, for my children, for my children's children for, for years and ever to come. That's beautiful. So those kind of insights start to unlock the Bible and start to, and in all of these, the other thing is if you start to look at the food in the Bible, you will see a pops and sizzles on almost every page. There is so many stinking food references in the Bible. And so to start to understand a little bit of this background starts to change the way that you see it, that you read it, that you interact with it, and it brings it alive. Well, we are just, we're going through Matthew at our church and we just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, pastor taught on with salt of the earth. And so mm. you talk about salt and I am the biggest dork because I'm reading this section of your book and I'm like, oh, Salt Lake City. This is why I, I, I've i never, ever thought that Salt Lake City might have salt in it. I'm telling you, I, I thought that out loud. I can't believe I'm telling all of you guys this because it makes me seem like such an idiot. But I really had no clue. And it's right there. I mean, you live outside of Salt Lake City and there's the salt mine. There is. It's a huge salt lake. Uh, the salt, salt lake. Sorry, I salt said lake. mine. Yeah, that's fine. That's okay. great. But the salt lake actually does not produce, this is fascinating, it does not produce uh, salt that is really fit for human consumption. Oh, yeah, I So that. it'll be used for the roads. It'll be used for, uh, you know, maybe salt licks for deer, et cetera, but it will not be used or the chemicals that can be really be taken out of it. So I actually went to a salt mine, which is a whole, it's basically an ancient seabed, um, is a salt mine that had dried up underneath the earth about an hour and a half south of Salt Lake City, went 410 feet down into this dark cavern. And it was the most incredible thing, Jamie. You'd look inside. And so it's completely dark. It's completely silent. Because when you're 410 feet down- I'm so scared right now. I would I would have a panic attack. Right? He was literally like, pay attention to some of these walkways along the side and go up and around. Because if something happens, we're gonna have to get out of here. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah, terrifying. But we look at these big walls and um, and the lights of the, the truck that we're driving in are lighting them up. And it looks like it's so incredibly gorgeous. It looks like these jeweled walls of like quartz and rubies uh, and and like a almost like a, a peach sapphires along the walls. And the reason is, is because when we think of salt, we think of table salt. We think yeah. of that little umbrella with the little girl, right. you know, has iodine added since like 19 whatever. And real salt, when it's mined, is taken out with its natural minerals in it. It's the minerals near the salt that are providing all of that color. It's also what provides nutrients. So he picks up this big chunk and he points to kind of this little bit tanner section of it and, and an almost a dark brownish. And he says, this is actually what the chefs love the most to cook with because this has all these added minerals that adds greater taste and flavor into dishes. And so that's when I began to understand that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he was never talking about the, the pure purified sodium chloride he was talking about that you have been mined. You have been created with these natural min minerals, these natural things inside of the that make you unique, that I am going to use to be the salt of the earth to bring flourishing to humanity. It's so good. So good. I, I mean, I even like when I was reading that, I th made me think back to that sermon I just heard about like how 
salt and how that would have been t- talked about, you know, years and years and years ago when Jesus said it. So it's so, so, so good. Okay, before we get to the last part, the meat guy. What'd you call him, the meat? He, okay, so he has been nicknamed the meat apostle. Oh, he gave, he already, you did not nickname him that. No, he's oh. known as the meat apostle. I thought you were like, I'd met and I thought you gave him the name. No. The meat apostle. Yes. And his name is Matt Hamilton and he owns Local Yokel in McKinney, Texas. And you can go there and several times a year, he has classes called Steak. 101. And oh my goodness, if you have not done this, you've got to. You go and it's outdoors and he walks you probably through a three or four hour class of every type of cut that comes from the cow, how they have different names in different parts of the country, uh, how, how they're butchered, how they're processed. And the best part is the last hour where he starts throwing on two different types of beef and it's grass-fed and Wagyu. And you uh, literally eat until your belly busts. And it is so amazing. And it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to go visit that someplace. I mean, yeah. it, it is so, and I think people, this is just a side note, but I am, I am, we are passionate. I wouldn't say passionate, but we are acknowledging and aware of this. Like you talk about in your book about where you get your food. I've been trying to buy our meat from local farmers or what we kill or what, what we kill. Look, I'm acting like we're out, like like we're hunters <laughs> scavenging the land for our food. We did have a freezer full of deer that Aaron killed last year. So, I mean, we have- Well played, well played. Yeah, it kills one bill, but I did make it sound like we were um, hunters. But anyhow, but it was interesting in here. And this is just a side note to what your book is about. But just even when you talked about, when he was explaining to you about the hamburger and like how many different cow- meat would be in one burger. Margaret, I got a little sick in my throat and you guys are gonna have to read it, but it is about like knowing where your food comes from. Absolutely. I think, yeah, my stomach flipped about 19,000 times when I was with Matt. But, you know, he holds up from his story, he holds up a pound of hamburger and he just says, I know the number of this cow. I know when it was born, when it died. I know what, if it had any antibiotics, if it did, we waited a year to butcher it so that that would no way, you know, infect anybody, you know, with any residual anything. And and knowing that he knows and loves and cares and wants to support farmers who know and love and care in that manner, it was really life-giving. I love it. I love it. It was really life-giving. When Lindsay was here and she talked about their farm, this was one of the coolest things she said is that her their cows have never been off of grass. And so when they go to get butchered, they'll take them into a trailer, but they have asked the butcher if they can go from the trailer, not straight to the whatever, but spend some more time on grass because they're, they're so shocked and they don't want that anxiety in them right before they're killed. Absolutely. Uh, I never thought about that. I was like, right? you're so kind to these cows. And we're so grateful for Temple Grandin and helping introduce that. But but every butcher knows, he says he can tell the cow was stressed, Matt does, because you will see the interior of the meat will be a darker, the blood will have literally rushed This is in what she talked about. Will be there. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? It is. It is, which also raises the question, like, what does happen to us when we get anxiety and the blood is rushing through? And no wonder Jesus says so many times, fear not, do not be afraid, and I am with you. Um, Okay, so a couple things you need to know. Number one, this book, Taste and See, uh, just released. You can get it anywhere books are. Uh, Number two, you have a podcast called The Joycast, which we didn't even get to talk about. Real quick, real quick. Tell us about the season that you've got going on. Yeah, the first season is The Joy Around the Table. So we've got incredible guests who are coming on. Christine Kane, uh, Lisa Harper, Liz Kurtzig, so many more. And of course, Jamie Ivey. It was so fun chatting with you. Oh, we had the best time. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to be people of joy and how do we find that and how do we discover that? So it is a great time. It's a fun, um, what are the episodes, like 30 minutes long? Yep. It's Which the, is great and easy. My yep. show is kind of longer, but it is what it is. Uh, but you guys check it out because I know it was good. Not, I'm not saying I'm good. You did a good job interviewing. Now I sound weird. But anyhow, y'all go listen. <laughs> y'all go listen to the Joycast. Okay, Margaret, we always end the show with three things you're loving and what are you reading? So where do you want to start? Ooh, okay. Three things I love. Number one, I love my Roomba. My Roomba. Oh, yes. It's the magical vacuum. I hate vacuuming. When does it come on? Uh, whenever I leave the house, I hit it. You hit it and then I it goes. Do. Yep. Okay. Yep. Because I like to close doors. Otherwise, it can get trapped. It's a little it does get there. trapped. It does get trapped. It yes. does get trapped. Sometimes we, we get mad at the edge of the stairs too. Yeah. We've had our Roomba like go in at night and like it wakes our kids up because it ends up in their room, mm. you know, but yeah, we love our Roomba too. I also love this dog toy that I have and it brushes your dog's teeth at the same time that it plays with it. Oh, I, I need know. something like that. Yeah. I think I need one for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
What else are you loving? Ooh, what else am I loving? I am loving, um, I am loving this sea salt that I got from, I think it's from France and just big, big chunks of sea salt. And I'm, I'll tell you, you put it on the cookies, you put it on your baked chicken, you put it on all those things. It is amazing. Sea salt chocolate chip cookies are like one of my favorites. Oh. Don't you have a recipe in your book for oh. that exact thing or did I make that up? No, we do. We have a couple sea salt cookie recipes that will blow your mind. Okay. All the good things. Which I think every book should have recipes in it. Come on, let's just be honest. That is so fun. Yes. Isn't that fun? It's like yeah. two books in one. Okay, what are you reading? Ooh, Food in the Ancient World from A to Z. I know I'm a total You're nerd. still reading about food. I still am. So for me, like a book isn't done when it's done because I'm not just writing to do something for someone else. I am. I want to love and serve my audience, but I want to grow in the fullness of this. I don't want to miss one iota of maybe what God has for me in this big adventure. So it's not over. So this is a question I'm going to throw at you. Have you what have you learned at, that's not in the book? from you're still reading that you're loving that you want to tell us about? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big ones that I've just been reading about is just the role of pomegranates in the Bible. Oh. Um, and how that, I believe, was one of the fruits, I think it's one of the fruits in the promised land and how that symbol of royalty starts to appear. And so that's why it's outside the temple. That is why um, you see it on the the hems of the garments of the priests. And so when you see pomegranates and if you eat one, it's, it's amazing. They've got those beautiful tops on top of them that look like a crown um, to, to look at the imagery of royalty as you're reading through as well. So interesting. I'm your I favorite that, nerd. I want to be think, your favorite nerd. Okay. You're, you're my favorite nerd right now for sure. I think that you, I think that you, we would be surprised at how much you're going to learn over, because you're going to keep doing this, about how much we miss out on when we study the scriptures, when we don't understand this part. It's true. Which is also true, Margaret. This is a whole nother podcast, but how there's always something new in God's word for us. Mm. Like we are continual learners of it. Mm. Like we can't ever be like, oh, I know it all. Okay, super nerd. So uh, for rabbinic Jews, it's it's been known for, they would always compare studying the scripture to sitting under a fig tree. Throughout the Old Testament, there's all these references to sitting under a fig tree that God would, in that peace of a messianic age or in that season of peace, that you would be under a fig tree. Why? Because figs don't ripen like other fruits. They'll ripen just one or two a day and then maybe wait three days and then one or two on a branch and then another one on each branch. And so you literally have to go out day after day looking up and searching for the fresh fruit. And I think that's, they lean into that because that's what God does and what you're describing, that underneath the fig tree, we look up and we are constantly discovering that new succulent provision that God has for us each day. And there's something new every day. It's amazing. That wasn't there the day before. Yeah. That's such a, I love that. I love it too. I'm going to think about that. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. Margaret, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are the best. It has been such a joy. I've learned so much in this hour. I mean, that's why it's the best hour of everybody's week. I've learned so much. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Friends, I'm so glad you joined us today. And I hope you loved this conversation with Margaret as much as I did. She held my attention captive for an hour as she talked about the way the food is mentioned in the scriptures. And I can guarantee you every time I see food mentioned again, I will take note and I will notice it and I will see that it is there with a purpose. I also loved when she was talking about the Texas butcher that she met because, you know, I'm a Texan. And so I, of course, obviously loved that point. I love the way that she took it upon herself to discover God in butchers and bakers and fresh food makers, as she likes to say. I wish I could take credit for that, but no, that's all Margaret. Margaret also has released a new Bible study to go along with this book, Taste and See. You can get it wherever books are sold. Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Next week, my guest is my new friend, Nicole Walters. If you follow me over on Instagram, which you should, because I like to have fun over there, you saw that I was recently in Atlanta, and I got to interview and meet Nicole, and we recorded our podcast in the cutest little white church that's converted to an Airbnb. You do know I want to go stay there from now because I loved it so much. Nicole is someone that I had heard about through social media. So honestly, I wasn't sure how we would connect. I didn't know her at all. And you guys, I loved her. She is so full of energy. And as she says for herself, she says she is on the Hot Mess Express, which we can all say, amen, me too, girl. We had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. You guys, enjoy your week. Enjoy the very last two days of January. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I will see you back here next week with my friend, Nicole Walters. Mm -hmm. 